in your loving name, Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Daniel 10. We're actually going to cover chapter 10 and chapter 11. Um, so, uh, so let's get to it. It says, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Now remember, this guy is an 85-year-old man who is still desiring a relationship with God. He's coming toward the end of his life. He doesn't know how many days uh, he has left. He's looking forward to eternity, but he's still learning, uh, uh, still learning and, and wanting to know more about God. His life is leaning toward God, and I love this. There's an, there's an intensity that, that, that's toward God that is even more present now than I would say when he was 15 years old and just on fire uh, of the Lord. It's almost the opposite with us, right? You, the opposite of what we see. Usually a younger person is kind of gun-ho for the Lord, and the older people sit back and go, oh, they're going to learn, they're going to learn, you know. Um, and, and not in a rude way, but, you know, sometimes they're too gun-ho. They're too over the top on certain things. But I think, uh, I think that intensity needs we need to be reminded of that intensity of when we were young Christians and and ask the Lord for some of that dullness to to be taken away and to get refreshed uh, on things that we used to do when we used to lean toward the Lord and this is what Daniel's doing and though the the reading of the scripture Daniel has uh, out and uh, he and he's sitting there thinking Man, our captivity is almost up. So the intensity ramps up in him. And he is, you know, he, he starts the repenting process for himself, his friends, and all of Israel. And this is really cool. He doesn't point out everybody else's sin as we talked about. He's focusing on his sin, his friend's sin, in other words, Israel's sin, and the leadership there that is still in Babylon. So he's setting an example for those who mourn for their sin. And in chapter 7, he starts to have these visions. Chapter 1 through 6, he was interpreting visions for everybody else, you know, for the kings and everybody else. But now he starts to have them, and his walk with the Lord has changed. And in verse 5, an angel appears, uh, the one that's so spectacular, so amazing. I'll start in verse 4. It says, on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, the, uh, the Tigris. I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt in the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I, so I was left alone Gazing at this great vision, I had no strength left, my face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. His friends just took off on him. Great friends, right? They just felt something. Now, the other night, uh, Lisa was gone somewhere, and the boys were in on playing on Brandon's computer. And it's fun to see Brandon at his age and Grayson at his age, you know, sitting there playing and, and watching the game on the computer, actually playing together and getting along. Isn't that great when your siblings get along, right? You know? So I just kind of walked by them. They didn't see me. And I went into Lisa's office, and there's a bathroom in there. And I'm thinking, this is great. I can really get them. 
So I just rake my fingernails across the bathroom wall, and it echoes through the wall and into where they're playing. And I hear Brandon just stop talking for a second. He kind of, you could tell he's kind of going, what was that? So I do it again. And next thing I know, Brandon goes, Grayson, why don't we go to the other room, you know? And then I popped out and said, I got you, you know, we had a good laugh about it and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, you ever get that feeling like something's just not right? That's what these friends are doing. Their friends are saying something is just not right right and they are just taken off and uh, you know it kind of reminds me of the loneliness of a leader sometimes some sometimes a le- you know as a leader you crave being alone because you're surrounded by people all the time you wish people just kind of back off and give you breathing room but there are other times when you want a lot of people around you're like I don't want to feel like I'm doing this alone come on guys don't take off on me and we we pray to the Lord Lord give me a clear vision of what to do here you know, or other leaders, uh, give me a vision for our small group or give me a vision for our ministry. Give me a vision of what our family should be doing. And that is a great prayer. Uh, but sometimes the loneliness comes with that leadership. In order for, for God to, to give us that vision sometimes, he must get us alone. And he might want to keep us alone for a while. And at first it might feel great, but after a while it starts to kind of feel lonely. You know what I'm saying? You feel like you're out ahead of everybody else. An intenseness not unlike uh, the Garden of Gethsemane when, when, when you almost feel like, God, are, are you there? You know he's there, but you're still going, are you there? I mean, guys like Daniel, Ezekiel, and John, and Isaiah, all these guys went through periods of this. Uh, there was a certain emotional price to following uh, God. There's, a, there's an emotional price for that spiritual growth. And I'm convinced this is why more of us do not mature as we grow older. And, uh, you know, it's one of those weird things. We, we sense this, but we don't want to go there. Because, you know, we're like Daniel's friends. We're kind of like, get me out of here. I don't like this feeling, you know. And the consequences of seeking the Lord is change in us. And, in fact, many of the songs that we were singing today were about change. It's, it's amazing how often the songs go along with the scriptures. And, and it's not like we get together every week going, okay, what's the theme for the week? Okay, we really want to hit this song or that song. No, no, we leave that up to the Lord. You know, I, I, I don't, uh, you know, lord it over, Tyler, there. But it's amazing how the Lord brings that in. And, and you know, sometimes there's people that, who will not understand the change that's within us because they run away. They're sitting there going, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand why you don't act like you used to act. And you're sitting there going, I'm following the Lord. And, and half the time, they don't even understand what that means. But keep on the path. He goes on in verse 9 and says, Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, and my face was to the ground. Now, I love the, the pictures and the paintings of angels. You know what I'm talking about, right? Angels always look like little babies, right? And they always got big behinds. I don't know why. But for some reason, they do that. It doesn't seem like, uh, like that would knock me out unless the diaper hadn't been changed for a while, you know, or something like that. But this angel is no little child. Verse 10, it says, A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. For I have now been sent to you 
And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Hmm. And he goes on and tells him all this stuff about the future of Persia and Greece and, and concerning God's people and all this. In verse 12, he goes, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you have set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. I love this verse. We kind of hit on this last week and the week before also. And I know last week's was a really weird kind of sermon. Uh, you know, Lisa was like, you should have just slowed down and explained it a little better. And I'm like, okay, you're probably really right, you know. But, uh, but this whole idea of when we set our mind on gaining understanding from the Lord, when we start praying, our words are heard and they're already starting to be answered. Hmm. That should encourage us. This is encouraging if your person has been crying out to God. To hear an angel say from the first moment, as soon as you pressed yourself into the prayer, it was received. And just because you haven't maybe you know, heard anything for the last 21 days doesn't mean that you haven't been heard. Maybe other things had to be set in, in, in the process of happening. You know, last night uh, I was uh, sitting around and, and uh, Janice, uh, Grayson's grandmother, uh, was sitting. Uh, she finally, she's been quarantining from us even though uh, they didn't drive together from uh, Oklahoma. Um, they were in separate cars, but she was trying to be nice and quarantine a little bit. She's staying in her RV. So she finally came inside and hung out with the kids and us. And we were talking about um, all, all of what happened because July, they gave us one week notice. By the way, we're moving to Oklahoma. And we're like, what? what, what is that? You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's really dumb. Why would you do that? You know, and I talked to a couple other people, and they're like, they thought it was really dumb, you know. But last night, as we sat down and we talked, and it, we're very, very happy they're back. But again, sometimes we don't know the reason. God could have had them move to Oklahoma because he knew the perfect job was coming open for her, but she would have taken a different job if she had stayed here. So he moved them all the way to Oklahoma, waiting for this other job to come open for the perfect time for her to take that job. We don't know God's plans. We sit around and we go, well, that was dumb. And God's sitting there shaking his head. Well, Alan, I didn't ask you, you know? I'm glad you thought that, but I didn't ask you at all, you know? So we have to be careful of that. But I do know one thing. When we cry out fervently to God, he's already listening. He's already listening. And this is what he does with Daniel. Daniel sets his mind, and he humbles his heart. It cleared the path, and his prayer went into the heavenlies. His prayer went there. He goes on in verse 13. But the prince of Persia, or Persian kingdom, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princesses, came to help me because I was detained there with the, uh, there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people and in the future, for the vision comes, uh, concerns a time yet to come. 
Now, I love this because he was like, I was on the way and I got detained and another angel had to come help me. I'm this fearsome angel that, that I've hold, had to tell you, get up. Don't, don't be trembling in fear in front of me, you know, and we'll talk about that more in a second. He's going to give him some strength here, but it's kind of interesting that the angel sitting there going, I was going to come to you, but I was detained for 21 days because of this other thing. And another angel came and helped me. And now it's revealed to Daniel that while Daniel has been in prayer, he's been battling for 21 days while Daniel fasted and prayed. It's kind of interesting. He partnered with the angels in battle, and he didn't even know it. His prayers were there. As Paul writes in Ephesians, for, I, for, for, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, one reason to fast is to say, hey, flesh, you're not ruling me today. You are not in control, and my hunger is for the Lord. And another reason is because of what Paul writes. There are bigger battles happening than our little world. You know, in July, our little world was wrecked because the kids, I mean, they love Papa and Mimi, right? But there's something bigger that was going on that the Lord didn't reveal to us at the time. And whatever situation we are in, sometimes we may be there because of our own sin. Sometimes we may be there because of somebody else's sin. Or sometimes we may be there and it's not even sin involved. The Lord just puts you on pause in a certain place so he can get something else done to bring you out at the right moment. There are other powers at play here than our little world. And when we realize that, we pray to God and say, let your will be done, not mine. So Daniel He's like, I don't have too much time, so, so you know, uh, we got to get back to it. And, and the angel says to him here in verse 15, while he was saying this to me, I bowed my face toward the ground and was speechless. The one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. And we look at this and say, well, I guess it's a different angel. Uh, somebody else showed up here. Um, uh, you know, we think it's the same angel. We're not really sure. But now maybe he's morphed into something Daniel can understand, so he's not so freaked out. So it's either another angel or it's that angel that appeared in a more manly form, okay? And he says to him, I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of my vision, my Lord, and I'm helpless how can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. And it says here in verse 19, Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. He said, Peace, be strong now, be strong. It is like he's saying, if you only knew how much God loves you, you would not be afraid of me. We get lost with what we see right before us, and we forget the bigger picture that God is out there for us, not against us. Amen? Yeah, he is out there for us. He says, you would not be afraid of me. I'm just a messenger here. 
And, you know, when we study the angel's appearances, it's obviously it disturbs people, right? They usually say, the angel usually has to say, do not be afraid. Uh, I know I'm scary, but don't worry about me. It's like a little baby that gets startled. You know, a little baby that doesn't like loud noises. You know, I, I blame this one on Lisa. Brandon doesn't like, you know, terribly loud noises. It makes him jump a little bit. I blame that on Lisa for going to see the blue angels when, she, when he was in her womb. You know what I mean? Every time the flame, plane flew over, uh, he jumped in the belly, okay? And, uh, yeah, it's all that blames on her. Uh, n- nothing to do with me. Uh, but, you know, it's like a little baby. It doesn't like loud noises. Now, unfortunately, in a conversation with my mom, I found out that my dad's mom was really, really loud when I was a baby. And every time she came into the room, I would start crying because she was so loud. And I didn't like it. And she was frustrated by that. And, and uh, uh, my grandmother would tell my mom, you just don't know how to take care of that baby. You know? And that, bodes, that goes over really well, right? You know, always, always, you know, just go ahead and just tell your daughter-in-law something like that. You go for it, you know. But finally, my grandfather took my grandmother aside and talked with her. But the point is this, with angels, people are usually startled like the little baby. It's just like, ah, you know, kind of like you're so surprised. And that's what the deal is with the angels. And it goes on and says, when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. You know, let, let me go back. And uh, I, I forgot to put the, I think this is Daniel 1, not Daniel 11. And it, and it says, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect them. Think about this. The angel is strengthening a non-Jewish king. A non-Jewish king. God is involved in world politics. Have you thought about that? You know, we think this world is crazy, right? God is involved. He knows everything that's happening. God is involved with Russia right now and, and, and Ukrainian. God is, is involved in, in China. God is involved in North Korea. God is involved in Africa. God is involved in the United States. He knows what's going on. Goes on in, in chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more, or, I mean, in. Um, in uh, Daniel 11, it says, Now then, I tell you the truth, three more kings will appear in Persia, and then the fourth, who will be far richer than all the others. When he had gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will appear, who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. And after he appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire has been uprooted and give to, uh, given to others. Now we read that, and you can imagine Daniel reading this. He doesn't know what happens. We look back, and you know, to Daniel, this is prophecy. But for us, what is it? History. 
We can look back and, and we, can, we can see all this. Scholars have come up with 135 specific details out of Daniel 11. 1 through 34 describes what happens after Daniel dies and what happens to Alexander the Great. And we've talked about before how Alexander is described in biblical history. And then, then, then Daniel goes into amazing accuracy of what happens after Alexander's death. And all, all the verse 21 where, where he describes in detail an extremely evil ruler in 175 B.C., Antiochus IV, Epiphanes. He was an absolutely evil ruler. He was a ruler uh, of the Seleucids from the Syrian Empire from 175 to approximately 164, somewhere right in there. And Epiphanes means a vision or manifestation. So he taught everyone to worship him. This ruler came along, and, and, and the scripture talks about this, and how he came along, and, and for him, he figured out, he, he goes, I'm the physical manifestation of Zeus. Now, in reality, was it a physical manifestation of Zeus? No. But that's what he, he basically said, I am a god. His father worshipped Zeus and wanted everyone in the world to worship Zeus, and he believed the Greek religion was a key to world power. And as you could imagine, this did not set well with the Jews, right? Yeah. So, as we look at verse 21 through 28, we see the prophecy that describes this guy. It goes on and says in verse 21, He will be succeeded by the contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom, and when his people feel secure, he will seize it through intrigue. And this is exactly what he did. Then an overwhelming army will sweep away before him, or, or will be swept away before him, both it and the prince of the covenant, in other words, the high priest that basically purchased that position, will be destroyed. And verse 23, after coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully. So you have uh, you know, a second high priest, and he sold it to another guy, and now there's a civil war going on between the priests and, and all that that was going on. Okay, So if you go back through history, you, you understand this. And with only a few people, he will rise to power. Verse 24, when the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. He will plot and overthrow. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. Verse 25. With a large army, he will stir up strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army. He will not be able to stand because of the, of the plots devised against him. So basically what happens, Egypt attacks, and the, and, uh, and the first time, he basically destroys them. And it goes on in verse 26, those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His army will be swept away, and many will fall in battle. The two kings, with their head, hearts bent on evil, will sit at the uh, same table and lie to each other, but to no avail, because an end will still come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant. He will take action against it. He basically returns during the Civil War, and then return to his own country, 
At the appointed time, he will invade the south, uh, uh, south again. But this time, the outcome will be different from what it was before. In other words, he's going to lose. Ships of the western coastland will oppose him, and he will lose heart, and they will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. So basically what happens is through the history, Antiochus IV basically gets mad. He goes home, and he kicks the dog, okay? He kicks the people who are there, and he takes a, you know, he brings in 22,000 soldiers and kills every male he could find. He takes the women and the children to be slaves, and there's not too many Jews left at this point in 167 BC. And at one point, he attacks them on the Sabbath. Now, what are they doing on, on the Sabbath? They're worshiping God. It'd be like somebody attacking this church on, the, you know, on Sunday morning. That's not good. So he does this, and he tears down the city walls, and then he goes into the temple, and he puts a garrison of soldiers at the temple, and he builds an altar to Zeus right in the holy of holies. You see what we're saying? He desecrates the temple, and he sacrifices a pig on the altar. Well, this starts a rebellion, of course, right? Somebody came in to do that, you wouldn't be happy. This is what we call the Maccabean Revolt. This is between the, you know, the 400 years between the, the end of the Old Testament, beginning in the New Testament. Those 400 years, God doesn't really uh, speak to the people. And this is in the middle of that period and that rebellion for three years, they kick basically this uh, Antiochus, the king, out of Israel. And for those, a side note, uh, this is where Hanukkah comes from. And this happens between the last book of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period. And all this is predicted right here in Daniel in complete detail to chapter 11, verse 35. So you go on, you read it, and it gives you all the details of what happens, okay? So if you like extra study, go and look it up, the Maccabean Revolt and all these things, and you can see how it happens. I, I hope I haven't confused you too much, okay, uh, this morning. But verse 35, it goes on and says, Some of the walls will stumble. So that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. I, lo I love this. Some of the, I said, well, some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined. You know, when we stumble, maybe the Lord's trying to refine us. Maybe the Lord says, okay, you need to go through this process to be refined, and to be purified. So this is very different than verse 36. 36 says, the king will do as he pleases. So you got some of the wise stumbling, but they will be refined and purified, and they'll be set aside, you know, made spotless for, for a certain period. And then verse 36, it says, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. And for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his father or for the uh, one, desire, uh, one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but he will exalt himself above them all. Now, before I read on, I want to tell you this right here, what he's talking about is not Antiochus Epiphanes IV, okay? 
He will not do these things. So we read, uh, we read aloud, and it all kind of makes sense, and it's amazing how the, the Bible confirms itself over and over and over. But then we come to verse 36, none of this has happened yet. So we see the prophecy of certain things, and then all of a sudden it jumps to this area where we haven't seen it yet. We think Daniel is, is doing you know, what all the prophets do, and it's kind of called telescoping, okay? Think of a telescope. Gabriel shows him Alexander the Great. So he kind of gets the telescope out, looks to the future, and kind of focuses on that part, right? So that's what happens at the beginning. You know, there's four generals, and, and we go, wow, so this is what's about to happen. And, and he sees the pig on the altar, and Daniel's like, what? They're going to do what to the altar, you know? I don't like that. And, but he's being showed. And then without any transition whatsoever... This telescope goes out further and focuses on something completely different. No warning. He just goes to the future to point to a point uh, beyond us today. There is a future ruler who many scholars think is what we call the Antichrist. And the Antichrist means the opposite of Christ. It will be a person that Christ had all the power but didn't use all of the power. He humbled himself. You know, he was in the garden. He doesn't say, my will be done. He says, your will be done, Lord. So the opposite of Christ will act completely opposite of Christ, right? He will lift himself up. And sometimes I feel we get too freaked out about society. And I want to say, do you not understand what is supposed to happen? You know, as we as Christians, we can't get too wigged out about what's going on today in our world. We have to take a step back and go, okay, where are we at in all this mess? I'm not sure exactly, but I know that God's in control. I know that the things are going to get worse for Christians. We are going to be suppressed. We are going to be laughed at. We are going to be taken apart. We are going to be, in fact, in many countries, you're still being killed. Over in Sudan, they're still attacking Christian churches and Christian homes and killing Christians. And we think, oh, it's so bad here in America. No, it's not. Man, we have it so good. But here in Daniel 11, Antiochus is a model for any Antichrist to come. But before we discuss the future in the Antichrist, I want to point out there have been many Antichrists who have come, who did what they pleased, who ruled large portions of the world, who did not honor God, who didn't treat people right. I mean, how many people, I mean, how many people can you think of that, you know, it's like an antichrist that can fit this model? Who ma massacred people? Who lived in palaces as the people suffered? How many rulers in Africa or Asia or Sudan or Egypt or Tunisia or, or you know, Kenya or Yemen or Saudi Arabia or Jordan or Syria or North Korea or China or Russia or the old Soviet Union? You know, usually our first thought goes to Hitler, right? But it's not just him. But if you were living in Europe at that time and you read the scripture, you would go, yeah, uh, he looks like the Antichrist to me, right? That's what you would be thinking. That's what I would be thinking. But if you lived in Italy, what would you be saying about Mussolini? You see what I'm saying? Or Japan, or the Congo in the 60s. Or Haiti with Papa Doc and Baby Doc and you know, all the docs or whatever, you know? 
And to think that this person is going to be worse than any of those guys, and he will do what he pleases. And God's people will be crying out like Daniel, how much longer will we have to live like this? And the answer will be, not forever, because the Antichrist rule will end. Well, I'm running out of time, so let's get going here. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. And if you want to read more about this, go to Ezekiel 37 through 39. And you can try to figure out who Gog and Magog you know, will be. It's kind of fun to try to figure that out, but believe me, you probably won't. Uh, because no one can, you know. But he goes on and says, He will invade many countries and sweep them or through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall. But Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Mon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and the uh, Nubians, which is Ethiopians. They'll all be in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him, in other words, the Antichrist. What news do you think would trouble the Antichrist? The thought that he can be defeated. And Revelations 9, it talks about an army from the east coming with two million men against Israel. Now, when Revelation was written, there wasn't 200 million soldiers on this planet but now easily china easily i mean you're not to mention even india both these countries are from the east would be coming that way who knows it goes on and says and uh, in uh, what verse 44 and he will set out a great rage to destroy and annihilate many he will pitch his royal tents between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain yet he will come to his end and no one will help him and what they're talking about is what happens in what we call megiddo har, har megiddo which in English we like to say Armageddon, okay? It's that valley between the sea and the holy mountain, which is Jerusalem, and the sea would be the Mediterranean, uh, you know, or as the Romans called it, our sea, and no one would be there to help them. And the New Testament confirmation that the prophets often wrote down stuff, it confirms this, that they themselves did not always understand it. And 1 Peter 1.10 it says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them, and in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they had not been told you spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look at these things. So Peter is saying that even though the prophets wrote it down, and even though Peter is saying the angels brought the message, neither one of them understood the end times completely. So this should give us a little bit of comfort. 
Isaiah is sitting there, you know, setting up John and, and what we read in Revelations. I mean, are you getting this or is it going right over your head? And, you know, and some of us go, well, I get part of it. I got some of it figured out. You know, Daniel over here, you know, he grabs an angel along the way and, and they're like, this is completely above our pay grade. We don't even know. So the prophecy confuses us and it confounds us and hopefully it doesn't cause us to flee like Daniel's friends, right? We don't flee the Lord. And in Daniel chapter 12, when we learn the details about the end times, you know, are not the most important part, uh, the details about what will happen are not the most important is what I'm trying to say. Because Matthew 7 even says that, that he will prepare the end times, but we won't be prepared for it. He says, look for it, understand it's coming, but it's going to come like a thief in the night, like the Lord's going to come. We're not going to understand it all. None of it says, read up, study it, figure it out. Jesus didn't say, spend the next 30 years figuring out the end times. He says, become more like me through the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about one more thing before I completely run out of time. Daniel says, a mighty ruler will arise. In Daniel 11.3, he says, the ruler will, will do as he pleases. In Daniel 11.16, he says, the ruler will do as he pleases. In chapter 11, verse 36, he says, the ruler will do as he pleases. Now, whenever you see a, a phrase that's repeated over and over in a, in a chapter of a book, you say, wow, this, this has meaning. I need to pay attention to it. The ruler will do as he pleases. We see this, you know, we see here the, the prediction of, uh, of the faith of any ruler who acts like this. Just, you know, not just the Antichrist in the end, but Antiochus and beyond. Any ruler who does what he pleases, his fate is Daniel eleven forty five. And that says, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. As soon as we see a ruler that just does what he pleases, we as God's people can say, okay, just hunker down and hang in there because the day is going to come when they will no longer be in power. God promises that. The ruler will do as he pleases, yet he will come to his end, and no one will be there to help him. So no matter how things appear, God is still in control. And this is the key to Daniel, that God is still in control, no matter what. Sometimes we just have to hang in there. doesn't look like God is in control, but he's still in control. It doesn't smell like God is in control, but he's in control. And those who, of us who write in our Bibles, this would be a great thing to write in the back of your Bible somewhere over certain different pages. God is in control. It's important for us to remember that. Because if you're not going through a tribulation, trouble will be in our future, right? I've learned that. Trouble comes. It comes. And the Lord uses it to build us up to get us ready for the next thing, right? If I come in and save, you know, every time my son has a difficult problem, if I come in and try to save it from that problem, what does that teach him? 
Nothing, right? He gets up to be older. He, he can't handle problems. So you try to let them work through certain things, you know, and, and, and that's the job as a parent. And God looks at us the same way. The other thing that we're learning as we come to the end of the study now is that God's people need to be very different than this world. Too many of God's people look exactly like this world. And it's a warning to us. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. Whatever I can do to convince you to stop compromising the areas of grayness in your life and become a little more black and white, I want to encourage you in that. And when I say that, I don't mean black and white to the point of you're just rude to people. Well, that's just not right. I can't believe you're doing that sin. Oh, well, that's really going to encourage them into the faith, isn't it? You know, I mean, sometimes somebody needs to be told what they're doing is wrong. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we, we you know, we, we don't need to be, be rude about it. The end times are coming and we need to behave like we're followers of Jesus. We need to behave like that. You know, we don't be obnoxious about it to the point where, where people reject God. But Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And this is a very unusual statement back then. You know, take up your Roman instrument of execution and follow me. Take up the humiliation, the shame, and follow me because that is what I'm going to do. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, it means you're going to have some form of persecution. I mean, Lisa was... I may have said this to you or, or not, I don't remember, but Lisa was uh, listening to, or they were doing a, a, a uh, she was doing a Zoom Christmas party, you know, one of the, because you got to have the company Christmas party, right? And we got to do it over Zoom, right? Because everybody's loving it. They told everybody, go out and get your lunch and come back. We'll pay for your lunch, up to $30 or whatever it was. So they're doing a Zoom lunch, and then they thought they'd have a little fun, you know, because people in HR think of this kind of stuff. So they started playing Christmas songs, and you were supposed to guess what it was. And one of the Christmas songs, of course, was, was a religious Christmas song, because that's what Christmas is all about, right? Amen, right? So, you know, the song came on, and somebody goes, what is that song? And somebody else goes, oh, well, that's just one of those religious things that they do at Christmas. How sad is that to begin with? But secondly, couldn't you imagine if you were the Christian at the company I mean, luckily, Lisa doesn't have to go in the office, but could you imagine having to deal with that type of attitude about Christianity in the office every day? We are going to be persecuted for what we believe in. You know, oftentimes we think of persecution like disease or cancer or illness or emotional things like, you know, like divorce, uh, you know, but, but sometimes it's not that kind of persecution. It's not that kind of suffering. Sometimes it's the, the suffering because we're shining in the darkness, we need to be the light. Some people have asked me, why haven't you moved out of California yet, Alan? Because, I mean, it's gone a little bit crazy out there, right? And I would agree with them. It's gone a, little, it's gone a lot crazy out here. But if we take all the light, if we take all the salt, if we take God out of California, what about all the people of California? What about the people that we can affect? What about the people that we can bring light into their life, the light of God? We should be the salt and the light until the end of time. So God is in control. 
And we must shine in the darkness. We must shine. These people who are suffering in the other parts of the world will not suffer forever. It's important for us to understand that American Christians are not suffering like those that are around this world. The day will come when everyone who calls themselves Christian will suffer in one way or the other from the Antichrist, but it won't be forever. And we need to pray for strength on a daily basis to come, become more like Christ to prepare ourselves. Prepare ourselves. And we get the strength from the Lord. Because we have neighbors on the right and neighbors on the left who have not come to Christ. Because our witness has been so weak in our neighborhood. Let our witness shine. Let our, our beliefs be out there. Give them a chance to come to God. That we would leave this world in a better place because of our faith. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? To have those that, that you've given up on come to the Lord? That would just be beautiful. That would be the most beautiful thing in the world. Why? Because they would have a chance to be with God and uh, the God of this universe. Just like we have a chance to be God, uh, with the God of this universe. Because we're no better than anybody else. No better. Well, let's pray and uh, worship team will lead us out with one last song. Lord, we thank you for examples like Daniel. That we can come to understand that uh, we can be strengthened by you. That when our prayers are, are go out towards you, that you're ready. You're listening. That you're, you know, our faith in you is not for nothing. I pray, Lord, that, that when we feel like we're suffering, we call out to you. But that we know that you have a plan. And that our suffering isn't for long. I pray, Lord, that you strengthen us on a daily basis. That we would turn our hearts and our minds towards you. And that we would be the salt and the light into this world. In your loving name, Jesus. Amen.